All right, we're going to go ahead and get started as everyone's settling in for the night. Welcome everyone to both in person and those that are live streaming from home. And for those that are going to be watching this on a future uh, recorded session. Tonight we're here for the Meridian High School College Information Night for junior students. We're going to be talking about post-secondary pathways for our students. But we want to start first with introductions of all the experts that we have here. I want to start first with our Department of Student Services, highlighting uh, people that are going to be coming up and presenting information. My name is Matt Sowers. I'm the Director of Secondary School Counseling. Welcome tonight. With Not with us tonight is my partner, who's housed at the middle school, but oftentimes here supporting our students at Meridian High School. That's Miss Sia Knight. She's the assistant director. In the front row, we have Miss Dana Kieran. Miss Dana Kieran over here, she has the beginning of the alphabet, last name A through F. We have Mr. Brad McAdam. He has last names G through MC. We also have new with us, Lindsay Jacobs, last names ME through P are English, and she also supports students that are English language learners. And then we have Miss Valerie Chesley, um, not with us tonight, but also she has the end of the alphabet, letters P through Z. And then I've also has listed here for everyone, for anything that you need within our office, our registrar, Miss Lynette Kemp, social workers, Miss Gata Kaloff, Sherry Murrell, that's our college and career specialist you'll hear from later tonight. Uh, Jessica Norwood, school psychologist, Miss Maria Perez, our administrative assistant in the office. I'm going to start first by going through the agenda, all the topics that we're going to cover. And as we, as we go through the information, we are going to reserve time this evening at the conclusion of the presentation after once every person's spoken to all the items on the agenda, we'll come down for a Q&A session. Uh, we'll highlight what that looks like, how that'll function, but we will reserve time tonight for families to ask any questions with us. So the very first thing that we're gonna talk about uh, here in a moment is gonna be about the transition services for students um, that are, have an IEP or special education and pathways for those students um, post-secondary planning. We're also gonna talk about um, the application process and we ha also have with us um, an admissions officer from Gettysburg College and uh, Miss Maddie Wonder, thank you for being with us tonight and sharing your wealth of information and resources. Uh, members of our counseling team are also gonna be talking about the application process and very specific items and resources within our college and career specialist um, department. And then again, as I mentioned before, then we'll go into talking about uh, Q&As and information that you have. Again, this is gonna be recorded and for families to be able to consume at a later time. So the first thing that I, I wanna uh, reference for families um, is Liz McCarthy. Liz McCarthy, she's one of our transition coordinators. Um, we work with her often. She's a school leader. She supports students, as I mentioned before, with IEPs, um, individual education plans, um, planning for post-secondary uh, post schools and opportunities beyond high school. 
She helps strengthen students' self-advocacy skills, learning how to obtain accommodations that they're receiving while here on the secondary campus beyond high school setting. Ms. McCarthy works with Ms. Murrell in a collaboration process, helping students plan for um, very specific educational outcomes that are student driven. Uh, they both support students identify and, de and develop potential career and college plans and also help students connect uh, with college resources pre and post through the application process. Up next, you're going to hear from Mr. Um, Brad McAdam, and he's going to talk about learning about colleges and universities. Mr. McAdam. Thank you. Hello. Thanks for being here tonight. Um, we recognize that uh, for many of you, you're at different points in this process, and that's it's very natural because some of you have already put a lot of thought into um, what you're going to be doing once you leave Meridian. Some of you are sort of just uh, beginning that process, just beginning to, to start thinking about it. Um, one thing I would say is that there's no sort of, and with that in mind, there's no sort of set timeline that we could lay out because people are at different places and people and students will end up applying at different points throughout their senior year. Some students, and we're going to get into this in a moment, will maybe apply early, uh, early action or early decision. Other students will wait and that's fine. I, what I, I never want a student to think that like just because their one of their best friend is, has already done this, this and this, they're somehow way behind in this process. This is a, a personal uh, sort of journey, I guess. And um, so it's, it's up to the student and the families to kind of, and we're here to help, of course, navigate that. But it's step by step for each student. And it's not like you have to be doing this by this date and stuff like that. We will be talking about some deadlines, but it's more our internal deadlines. But I just want you to know, relax, because if it's okay, if, you have, if this is the first moment you've thought about college at all, um, I doubt it because you go to Meridian High School. But if this is the first moment that you've thought about it all, it's okay. So we're gonna we're all gonna get through this. And if if you are a parent of us and this is your first time having a child uh, go through this process, you can relax too. It's okay. We're we're here to help you. Um, we know a lot about this. Miss Morell knows a lot. She's very knowledgeable and an awesome resource for us. So we're so happy to have her here. Um, but just but know that it's you don't have to do this alone, um, students and parents, it's gonna be okay, all right? Um, with that in mind, you know, this is a time for juniors that I think could be, a lot of self sort of reflection should be going on, thinking about what do I wanna do when I leave Meridian? We know just because, um, if you look at the numbers, most of our students do go on to a four or two year college. And so that's why we're having this evening because that's what most of our students plan to do. But beyond that, when you think about college, what sort of major might you think about that you're going to study when you get there? Have you thought about a career beyond college and what's going to lead to that? Um, have you thought about how far from home you're comfortable being? Um, have you thought about the size of the school that you may want to attend? Have you thought about, um, do you want to go to a school with, like a, with really you know, big athletic program? Do you want to be on an urban campus? Do you want to be in a suburban campus? Do you want to be someplace more rural? These are all things that should be kind of going through your mind right now as you start to think about what's important to me for where I want to be beyond here. Um, and some of the things that we've, we've talked about in here. So every student in our school has access to Naviance. Naviance is a platform that we use on our end 
to um, to process college applications for stuff that we send to schools. But for students, it's a great resource for the college search process. So there's something called Supermatch and Naviance where students can, they, using their uh, GPA that's in there, but also factors that they can indicate, like all the things I just talked about, size, place, majors, all these things. It can help them kind of whittle down a list of schools that might be interesting to them. There's other search engines that, that exist um, that we list on our, on our college and career website. There's also some listed in Naviance that students can access. So, the, you know, in this day and age, of course, there's mountains of information that are available online. Um, we, we think Naviance is a great tool for students and we hope that they use it uh, for that search. Um, in addition to that, when you think about online, virtual tours on, on college websites are very helpful if you can't make it to a school. Um, doing those virtual tours can be great, and you can get, of course, tons of information on college websites. Thinking about other information that you, you can and hopefully will be accessing, um, college fairs, there's many in the, in the region. Sherry posts in her newsletter all the time the, uh, different events that are coming up. So please, if you, if you don't read that newsletter, please do. She sends it out weekly. Um, also, um, in the fall, we have tons of schools. I'm, how many would you, I mean? Over 100 schools visit either visit in person or virtually. I think more and more now with, um, with the way things are in person. So schools come here to visit. It's a great way to get space time with a college admissions person. Sometimes it could be just a couple of students sitting with, a, with an admissions officer. So that can be a great opportunity to ask questions and get, in, and get information um, from different colleges. So we encourage students to do that. To me, there's no uh, substitute for a campus visit. I remember when I was going through this process as a kid, and um, I just as a little like side note, my senior year, it was like January of my senior year, not junior year, senior year, my dad was like, you gonna apply to college? You thinking about that at all? And I was like, oh yeah, yeah, I should do that. You're right. So just, it gives you a, a glimpse into, number one though, things have changed. I will say that, it was a long time ago. But it gives you a glimpse into, you, it's okay if you're, way far behind in terms of like thinking about this. I just, again, I can't stress that enough. But I went to visit a school that I never would have thought I would have interest in. It was a Catholic uh, college. I was not Catholic. I went to the school and I was like, I just feel right here. I feel like I could fit in at, the, at a place like this. And I ended up going there. And so sometimes you don't know until you're actually there on the campus and you can kind of see what's going on and, and get a feel of like, can I see myself spending the next four years here? So. To me, there's no substitute for that. But again, I know some people don't always have the resources. You can't be flying out to California if, if you're interested in going out west. We get that. But if you can visit a school, try to do it. And even if it's a school, you're just like, I mean, go visit George Mason University. Even if you don't really think you're going to go there, go visit it to see what's it like to be on a college campus. What are things you like about it? What are things that um, you don't like about it? Uh, so it's just, I think it's a great opportunity and it's, it's a good way to start asking questions um, of, on the tours to find out like what does this school offer that you wouldn't even ever have known about. So if you can do that, please do. As you start getting now closer to the idea of like building a college list, if you look at what we have here and you're talking about, you really want to consider schools that um, we would consider reach schools. So if you uh, think about schools that we would be below, you would be maybe below the middle 50% of students that were accepted there. So um, how would you know this? You can go on the school's website to get the information. It's also in, um, in Naviance. You can go to each college and there's a lot, a lot of data there. Um, so we're thinking about reach schools, 
target or match schools, and then uh, likely. So I mean, you can see here, it's, it's important to have at least a few of each of those. But the, the other thing I would say though, because this happens a lot, don't just pick a school um, because you heard the name and you're like, well, I'll probably get in there, but I don't really want to go. That doesn't make any sense to me. Maybe it makes sense to you and that's okay. It's your money and your time applying to the school. But I would think you would want to apply to schools where you could actually see yourself going to eventually. So when you're thinking about these schools, like schools that you think you could get into, more reach, uh, likely. So they should be schools that you hopefully would be okay going to if you were to be accepted, okay? Um, last thing, and this again, but this is about the timing of where you are in this and, and where you will be next fall. Many of our students now apply early. For them, again, that is a personal decision, whatever you choose to do. But if your best friend is applying early action and you don't feel ready to do that, there's absolutely no reason why you would need to. Um, so just to go over sort of, and especially if this is new to all of you or to some of you, and you're, for some of you, if you've been through this or you've done enough research, you know all this and that's fine. Some of you may not know any of this information. Regular decision is, was much more common back in our day maybe. And that's, a, that's usually a later deadline, typically in January or later. Um, rolling admission is when a student can apply and then there's a very quick turnaround of when they get a decision back. So if you see a school that's rolling admission, um, typically there may be a deadline, but it's, so it, but it, before that deadline, as you submit an application, within sometimes even up to as little as two weeks, you could get a decision back from the school, maybe even less. Um, early action, I'm, I've mentioned it before, but so early action is, it's not a binding uh, decision. You can apply to multiple schools early action, but there's an earlier, de earlier deadline. Oftentimes, uh, November 1 is a typical early action deadline. And students can, so the, the benefit is you're applying earlier, so you're going to hear back from that school earlier. And so sometime, um, usually December or January, UVA's early action uh, de uh, decisions have not come back yet. So I think even so it pushes into February sometimes. But they get, they're going to find out earlier than if you applied regular decisions. So that's comforting, I think, to some students. And I think that's why so many do it now. Early decision is a binding agreement. Um, the benefit to the school is that if you apply early decision, they know you're going there because you've made a, an agreement with them. Yes, I want to go to your school, and I understand that if I get in, I'm going. Um, and so you can only apply to one school early decision because, again, if you apply to that school early decision, you are going there if you get accepted. Um, I'm not even going to get into early, restricted early action because there's many sort of degrees to it, but know, there's, know that there's something else called restricted early action. So I think it's just important to be aware of what the types of decisions are. There's no right or wrong way to do this, and we're, we're here all to kind of help guide you through it. All right, I'm going to turn it over to Ms. Kieran now. Hi, guys. So I'm gonna talk a little bit more about the logistics of the kids' actual applications. Keyword on the kids' applications, they really should be leading the charge on keeping all of this organized. It can be a really overwhelming task for them because they are not only organizing themselves. I always tell the kids, it's hard because you're also organizing other adults, which I think is a new concept for them. Um, but it is a good exercise in learning how to kind of make all of this happen. So 
the main part of their application is the part that the students produce. Generally, students will likely have at least one school or more that they're applying through to through Common App. So it's gonna have their contact and demographic information. If you're applying to an in-state school, they will need um, a bit of information from you guys to establish residency, your driver's license, voter registration, things like that. Um, this is also where they fill in all of their extracurriculars, all of their honors, all of the amazing things they've been doing during their time in high school, just so they can kind of really tell the schools what they've been doing with their time in the classroom and out. And then they also put in um, their essay for Common App. Um, there are seven choices. Um, they pick one, and that is one essay that's then going to go out to every school, um, which is kind of the benefit of Common App, is that you're doing the main section once, and then you can send it to multiple schools. Um, individual schools might also have what we call supplemental essays, which are shorter ones, like 250 words, 150 words, that are specific to that school itself, and they will have separate questions that students um, will likely also have to work on. So that is what they are doing in Common App. That should be all done by them, um, and you should, you know, be there to morally support them, um, but that really should be kind of where the bulk of their time and energy goes. Um, in addition to that from the school, we send their records, for sure. Um, so we send their transcript. We do send it through Naviance, which again is that platform that we use to communicate with schools. Students have to request transcripts. We will get into the details of all of that next year. Um, it would kind of be a little bit too much at this point, but they will use Naviance to request transcripts. Um, we have deadlines, like internal school deadlines that we want them to follow so that we can keep up with things because they are doing one application and we are doing this for 70 to 80 seniors at once. Um, so the more organized they are, the better we can kind of be with keeping up deadlines. Um, but also the academic records may come from the students themselves. Um, more and more schools are doing what's called self-reported academic records. Um, bigger schools, one that probably everyone is familiar with is Virginia Tech. Um, Virginia Tech takes no documents from a school, nothing. If we have a student who is applying to Virginia Tech, I will send nothing on their behalf because Virginia Tech won't accept it. Students self-report their records, they self-report their test scores, they do not take letters of recommendation, and students have to do extra supplemental essays. A lot of bigger schools have kind of adopted that system because they have such a large volume of applicants. Um, it's just easier for them if everything comes from the student and they're not waiting for different pieces from different places. So part of what we'll talk about on the next slide is just part of what is tricky for kids to do, I think, is figuring out what are the requirements for each school. And the longer their application list is, the more moving pieces they have to figure out about what school wants what pieces from them. So again, the organizational pull this has, I think is a really good exercise for about to be seniors and graduating high schoolers, but it is a lot to manage. Um, recommendation letters, if schools require them or if they accept them, that's a big if. And again, we really want students to take the initiative to figure that out. And it might be a different answer for every school they apply to. It's on all the school's websites and part of doing the research is figuring out 
what exactly do I need to do to apply to this school specifically? I wish it were easy and everyone had the same answer, but they don't. Um, and they all have reasons for wanting different pieces of information. So um, many schools accept teacher recommendation letters. Some require them, some accept them, some accept them and make it clear to us that they don't read them because they don't find it a useful piece of information. What we recommend for kids, and this is probably the most important piece for juniors to walk away with before the school year is over, and we will push into their classrooms and give this message to them again. Um, before the school year is over, what we really try to make sure juniors have ready is the letters of recommendation piece from teachers. Before they leave, before the end of the year, they should have no more than two teachers. If they just have one, that's fine. They may only ever need one, but no more than two. No school will ever ask for more than two letters of recommendation um, or require more than two. Um, so before they leave, they should find at least one teacher, maybe two, that they feel comfortable having an in-person conversation to ask them for a letter of recommendation um, before they leave, before the school year is done. Um, teachers who teach juniors often are, um, will have big numbers of students asking them all for letters at the same time. And because the teachers have their full-time job of teaching, they often will create like um, internal caps. I will say yes to the first 25 kids who ask me and then I really have to cut it off because it's just a lot for them to manage. And they often use summer to work on those letters. So we really want juniors to know that before they leave here, asking a teacher for a letter of recommendation is super important. Um, some schools require school counselor letters of recommendation. They do not have to ask us in the sense that they have to worry about us saying no. We don't have caps, we're not allowed to. So we will write a letter for anyone who needs it. But there are a growing number of schools who don't want them. So again, we just want students to be sure um, what each school requires. And if they require a letter, we are happy to write it. And I'll kind of talk about in a minute some of the pieces that you guys will actually do to contribute to that. Um, some students can also get supplemental letters in Common App. There is an option to put in an other recommender. That's where they could put in someone who's not a teacher and not a counselor. If they have a coach, um, a boss, or someone else, um, Girl Scout troop leader is on there a lot. Um, how much schools use those letters is going to be individualized. Students don't need them by any means. Um, if they would like to and someone is happy to write them a letter, it's never going to hurt them. Um, how much the schools use them, um, we don't really know. So it kind of happens behind closed doors. The last part, uh, test scores. If the schools require test scores, they need to be sent, obviously. This one is kind of harder to give you an idea of what form they'll need to come in because, again, sorry, the answer is going to be that it just varies by school. Some schools require official test scores. That means the student is sending it directly from College Board or ACT, logging into their account, sending the scores. Some schools and a growing number of schools, luckily, have moved over to self-reporting SAT and ACT scores. It saves you money, it saves them steps, and they can just enter their scores into Common App or wherever it will take it, and then the school kind of does it on the honor system. Um, some schools are test optional. So we're going to talk about that again a little bit later and what that means, but kind of figuring out how test scores are going to factor in is really the point of that one. Okay, 
So I think a lot of times what you guys walk away with from these things is what do I need to do now? Like, what can I be working on now? The applications are obviously not open yet, um, but for everyone who wants to be prepared, um, this is kind of a summary of things to think about, conversations to have, and actual tasks to do over the next few months to leave you and your student in the best position possible to kind of be ready once we hit August 1st and applications for the fall open up for them. So for parents, this will be your one like solid piece of homework that we absolutely require from you. So if a student needs a counselor letter of recommendation, there are two pieces of information that we require to write one. We need a parent brag sheet that is from you guys. At the end of the school year, usually in June, all of the counselors will email out to all of their junior parents, hey, have a great summer, here's some things to think about to get ready for college, and here's a you know Google Doc of our parent brag sheet. And you fill it out, you email it directly to us whenever you're ready. It doesn't have to be to us immediately, but again, you guys are busy too, so we like to give you the full summer to think about things, um, and work on them, it can be, I, I think it can be a really great task for parents to do because you get to reflect on how amazing your kiddos are, but it can be, I think, daunting to just ask us, when we ask you to say, tell us all the reasons your kid is great because there's probably a lot that you can think of. So we like to give you time to work on it, but that will be the one piece that we require from you guys to really incorporate that in our letters of recommendation. Those don't go to teachers. They do not get put on Naviance. They do not get sent to colleges. They just go to us and we use them um, to kind of supplement our letters and give them, give an admissions officer a full picture of who your kiddos are. Um, the students will also do their own type of brag sheet. They will do a senior worksheet in Naviance. And those are the two pieces that the counselors put together to work on their letter because our letter is supposed to be a little more holistic. Conversations, financial conversations, and maybe sometimes like first conversations. Um, your kids are entering adulthood. Um, and this is the first joint large financial decision you kind of have to make with them. So, um, these conversations are important because when kids come to us and we're trying to help them build lists, one of the first things we will ask to be realistic and respectful and aware of what college is, is have you had a conversation with your parents about finances in college? Who is paying for it? How much are they paying? Are they willing to pay for a private school, a public school? Do you have to look for scholarships? Is there? So those are all conversations that for us to help your students and for your students to have realistic expectations when they're creating their list kind of need to happen sooner rather than later. Because um, it can be heartbreaking to watch kids apply to schools that are just not an option, especially if they get in later because the conversations weren't had ahead of time. So um, public schools, private schools, luckily we're in Virginia and there's a ton of really amazing public schools. Um, but there's also private schools that give financial aid and grants and things like that. So those should all be part of the conversation. Um, will your student have to take out loans? Will that be a part of the conversation? Um, could they apply for work study? Do they know what work study is? Um, and how much would you need your student to contribute? How much are you going to be able to contribute? Those are all you know, private family conversations, but the more your students come 
equipped with, the better we can help them kind of navigate that process. Um, the other thing is kind of the list that Mr. McAdam was talking about. These are all of the things that besides just picking colleges that they think they want to go to are really important things that sometimes they don't get to consider enough. Um, but you can kind of help frame those conversations of geography. Do they want a rural campus? Do they want a suburban campus? Do they want an urban campus? Um, how big of a school do they want to go to? We're a fairly small high school. Do they like that environment or do they just want to like blow it out and go big to like Penn State and just be surrounded by 40,000 people? Um, the logistics of job placement rates for the majors they're thinking about going into, what is the likelihood that they can find a job and be employable afterwards? Which should be super important to the parents because then they leave your house sooner and don't come back. Um, well, come back, but maybe with a job. Um, what kind of majors are offered? You don't want to end up going to a school that really has, doesn't include the major and can't really prepare you for what you want to do. Class size, campus climate, what support services are there. Um, with students with IEPs and 504s, that's a big topic to consider if you feel like your student is going to need more support as they make the transition into college, which is can be a huge one. Um, what type of support services are on the campus? Um, so those are all kind of things that is helpful from the adult end for you to kind of help your students start to think about because it might not be something that they really know how to go thinking about. And again, the more on campus visits you can do, the more helpful it is, even like Mr. McAdams said, even if you don't want to go there, VCU is really close, and even if your student doesn't want to go to that specific school, it's a great example of what a more urban campus feels like. Maybe they go there, they have a really strong reaction, one way or the other, and then it just gives you more information to work with, even if that's not the school for you. The other side of this is things that students will need to be doing and can be doing. Not all of these are required, but they're options. Um, SATs and ACTs, juniors are starting to think about those. Um, taking them in the spring, the summer, the fall. Um, I know there can be a lot of stress around standardized testing, but I would also encourage you guys to look into test. If you feel like your student struggles with standardized testing and it is a huge source of anxiety and maybe doesn't end up reflecting what they're really capable of, looking for test optional or test blind schools can be a really good investment to kind of get rid of a source of anxiety that might um, loom over things. Um, they should be googling and researching and naviancing and college boarding all sorts of lists of schools that they want to go to. They're on laptops and phones literally all the time so they can make it useful. Um, and part of that will be figuring out all of those little things that they need to know about a school. I've seen a lot of spreadsheets that I think are really helpful if that's how your kiddo organizes things of here's the deadlines, do they need a recommendation letter, what kind of test scores do they need. It is a lot to keep track of and a lot of moving pieces so the more they can be involved with organizing that in whatever way works for them, I think it's going to work out better for everyone. Again, we talked about asking for letters of recommendation. Applications don't open until August 1st, so they will not be able to put in anything into Naviance now, but it's more just about kind of getting a verbal commitment from a teacher. So then you can maybe say, great, thanks. I'll follow back up with you in the fall once I know what deadlines I have. 
Um, so just kind of securing those with teachers, meeting with Ms. Morrell to discuss your post high school plans. She is an amazing resource and she literally knows everything. I vouch for that, she knows everything. So if you have a question um, and we don't happen to know it, she should be the place that you're going to find that information. Starting to work on your college essay, it's gonna have a lot of drafts, hopefully, and a lot of iterations. So the earlier you can start that, the better. I believe in, in English classes, they sometimes do that, Mr. McAdam. Yeah, I think so. I think it, maybe in the SL classes, at one point they did, I believe they do if they have time, where they'll give you guys a prompt where students pick one of the seven common app prompts. So it's at least like a starting block that they can go from. We also have the writing lab that students can bring their written pieces to if they want someone to look over it. Um, getting lists together of all your extracurriculars. Students do a lot and sometimes they forget. So if they can just start kind of like typing up a resume to kind of remember dates and how long did I do this for and what jobs did I have when, what sports teams did I play on during what years and kind of having that ready for their purposes will make their applications go faster. And then again, the last thing we ask them to do is if they need a letter of recommendation from us, there will be a senior worksheet shared with them on Naviance. We actually assign it as a task for them to do. And it asks, it's seven questions, I believe, that they fill in as much or as little as they want. Again, it doesn't go to colleges. It stays with us. Um, so they don't have to over edit it. Um, but really just tell us what are the important things you've done in high school that you want us to talk about for an admissions officer? Because we really want them to kind of have a say in what we present to a school. Was a lot. Um, so now Ms. Morales is going to talk about how you pay for college. Indeed, that was a lot. Does anyone need to catch their breath? Because <laughs> there's a lot of tasks for students and for parents to take care of. And as Ms. Kieran alluded to, having the conversations about the budget for college is a great conversation to spread out over the next couple of months so that your student is moving ahead with those realistic expectations about what needs to be done to make college financially feasible. There are two ways to fund college aside from just paying the full tuition bill. And we're looking at these days for Virginia public schools on the lower end for tuition room and board, um, about $25,000 per year up to $38,000 per year. And that's just the swing range for the Virginia public schools. But we also go up to, uh-oh, uh-oh. Oh, I'm good, but why aren't we here? I'm good here. Where did we lose power? Pause, I guess. Do you know? <laughs> Pause, pardon me. Thank you. Um, as I was saying, tuition for Virginia public schools are roughly that twenty-five to thirty-eight thousand dollars per year, and that's a pretty widespread for public institutions. But the upper end of the spectrum, if you are going to be looking at private institutions with your children, I gasp to tell you there are schools that are eighty thousand dollars per year. Um, 
So multiply that by a four-year college education and you are making an investment um, in your, your child, your child's future. And not everyone has those financial means to just write the check in full, whether it be the lower in-state in tuition prices or those um, higher private school prices. So need-based financial aid and scholarship opportunities are the way that uh, students and families can put together the resources to make college feasible for their students. Need-based financial aid, the big form is the FAFSA, the free application for federal student aid. You as a parent, um, family members, you can't do anything about that now except gather your tax documents. Keep the, that 2022 tax return handy so that it's available to you when you do um, start the, fa the FAFSA form. That opens up on October 1st of every year. Your child does not need to have applied to college and press submit on their application before you as a parent can file that FAFSA form. Um, they need to know where the FAFSA form needs to go to the uh, financial aid offices, but you don't have to wait as a parent to uh, have your child apply to a college or university before you complete the FAFSA form. So that's the magic date, if you will, for starting the financial aid process. Um, there's also the VASA, the Virginia Alternative State Aid, and that would be for students who are um, not documented and they're looking to apply to Virginia public colleges and universities, but they could still obtain some financial aid. Um, a more complicated financial aid form is the CSS profile, College Scholarship Service. It's a form that College Board, the SAT group, puts out. It's basically a more invasive FAFSA form, so they're going to dig deeper to see what family resources are available to fund a college education. Um, so keeping your uh, financial documents at hand will help you go a little bit further. The, the CSS profile tends to be required by private colleges and universities over public schools, and that's just a, a general statement. That's where you, as a family member, can help guide your student to be maybe the shepherd of that financial aid process because you may have all the resources, the financial numbers to be able to fill out those forms to know which forms, just the FAFSA form or the FAFSA form and the CSS profile um, are needed for your student to apply for need-based financial aid. Need-based awards typically consist of grants and scholarships. They're great, they're not repaid. It's gift money, essentially. Um, Work-study positions, the so students working in an on-campus job is, uh, can be awarded as well. And then student um, or family loans. Subsidized federal loans and private loans are options to fill in any financial aid award gaps. Merit scholarships. This is more of a student-driven piece. Um, there are lots of organizations out there that will have scholarship opportunities. Write an essay and they're giving a $500 award for that. Um, wonderful, and we are so grateful for any opportunities for students to earn money to um, offset the exorbitant cost of higher education these days. However, the biggest dollar amounts tend to come from colleges and universities themselves. And so as one of my colleagues alluded to about building that diverse college list, one lens that I talk to students about when I meet one-on-one -on -one with them is, is merit-based financial aid or financial need um, in general, whether it be need-based aid or scholarship money, is that a priority for your family? And so maybe if it is, the, the three buckets of those reach and safety schools and those target schools in the middle 
maybe there aren't as many reach schools. Maybe that list is, is heavier on those safety schools that have robust merit scholarship programs because that's a family priority and that's perfectly fine. Um, so having those conversations with your students so they know ahead of time that financial component to build that balanced college list is helpful. But the largest dollar amounts for merit awards tend to come from the college and colleges and universities. So having that strategic lens can benefit them in the end. Um, the private organizations, there's some great scholarships that are stewarded by the Falls Church Education Foundation. Um, most of them are available starting in, I just launched them actually last week for our seniors, so um, February of senior year with applications due in um, mid-March generally. I say they're wonderful because the applicant pool for the scholarships is only our students. They're not applying for a scholarship where 20,000 other applicants across the country are applying. So um, have that on your radar to be a reminder for your student. Um, if your student is applying for regular decision with those January deadlines, hopefully starting scholarships for the Education Foundation Awards in February kind of keeps them moving on that trajectory for um, wrapping up one phase of applying and then getting to how are we going to pay for this as a family as their, as their next phase. Um, there are a number of uh, scholarships that are posted in Naviance. I update them as I receive new information from um, organizations. So Naviance has some tools, but there's also another, a, a whole bunch of other scholarship search engines that I have available publicly on the College and Career Center website. So if you want to do any background research and suggest your student who has a X particular potential um, major and would benefit from a particular scholarship and plant the seed, um, certainly feel free to do so. But scholarships really are the student's task to complete all of those steps and I pause when I said steps because some can be write four essays and have an interview with a committee and come to campus or come to their organization others can be just write a 500 word essay and, and be done so there's wide variation as to what is required from students to apply for scholarships from outside organizations I'm going to loop back though to the colleges and universities because as I say that, I neglected to include that there is also some wide variation from colleges and universities for students to obtain scholarship money. Some colleges and universities require students to complete just the application for admission. The entire applicant pool will be considered. There's nothing else that your student would need to do. Other colleges and universities have a separate application form for scholarship consideration and it might be a different deadline than the deadline for the admission plan. So have your student be on the lookout for um, their timeline as they keep themselves organized. So funding college for your students comes at an exorbitant price tag, but there is need-based financial aid and scholarships to support them in their endeavors. So we are very fortunate to have a guest who can speak from the college admission side that we all have worked with colleges and universities for a number of years. I've worn the hat of being a college admission officer formerly myself, um, but having the benefit of Maddie Wonder here, who is an admission officer from Gettysburg College, who's currently in the thick of that reading process, and they just released their early action decisions today, so she's getting all good kinds of good news from her students to um, find out um, if they are admitted um, 
or not. And, and sadly, she has to bear the, the sad news to some students as well. But she is a, a tremendous resource uh, to us, and we are very grateful that she is here. Maddie herself is a graduate of Gettysburg and serves as the regional representative and is here to talk to us a, a little bit about the admission process from the lens of a small liberal arts college, a private liberal arts college. So thank you. Hey everyone, how are we feeling? Okay, verbals, I like it. Uh, well, thank you for that great intro and you guys are so lucky to have a program like this. I don't, I don't think that my small public school in rural New York did something like this, so it would have been very helpful um, along the process. But I've been in college admissions now for about six years. I started at a larger public state school, um, actually in North Carolina. Um, and then landed back, um, you know, where I belong, I guess, at my alma mater in Gettysburg. And has anybody been to Gettysburg, Pennsylvania? Woo, yeah, okay. History, battlefields. Um, so yeah, it's not too far from here, about an hour and a half north. Um, as they're encouraging visits to campus, I'm thinking everyone can come visit Gettysburg College. We're open all the time, it seems like. Um, but anyway, your counselors have asked me to come share some insight with you about, you know, how to find a college, where to go to, and also what we're looking for sort of on the admission side in an application and in an applicant and kind of finding that best fit from our angle, but also helping you to find your best fit college um, as well. Um, so with that, a lot of this stuff has has really been been covered. Um, you know what you what you want in a college is where to start, and I think I want to emphasize you um, and really the students because the students are going to be the ones going to this college or university. Um, so the parents can help a lot in the process, as we've mentioned a lot of ways to do so. But ultimately, the student is going to be spending the next four years at least, right? Um, of, of their life at this school if it's a four-year you know college or university so um, it's got to be a place that makes you feel comfortable happy etc so that's why you know visiting is one of the best things to do um, if you can't visit if you want to go to California for school right there are a lot of virtual tours virtual programs that have really amped up um, thanks to the pandemic so there's a lot of ways to engage um, now at this stage in the process you can even chat with current students chat with professors you know all online so that's super helpful if you get to visit campus excellent still chat with current students ask them those questions that you have chat with the admissions counselors build that contact that relationship um, eat the food that's really important hopefully y'all already had dinner i made sure to tonight um but eat the food explore the town if you want to meet with a professor of a program you're really interested in do that um, at gettysburg we organize things like that virtually every day it seems like um, on campus for prospective and admitted students right um, so th those are kind of things that you can be doing on your visits or on your virtual visits right um, obviously college websites 
are extremely helpful. Um, I hear from students all the time that use these broader search engines or like college rankings or whatnot. That's great to kind of start your research, right? The, those broad Google searches, I guess. Um, but the college websites are gonna be the most up-to-date information, right? Um, those, those other search websites, I guess, or platforms are not um, updated as regularly. They have to be updated by the colleges um, to be accurate. Um, social media, I'm really happy. I don't know why I'm happy. I don't have a TikTok, but Gettysburg now, now has a TikTok. Um, and I think, uh, you know, colleges and universities are getting into that. They have Snapchats, they have Instagrams, Facebooks. So, um, you know, all you students, you can actually learn some stuff about the colleges and universities um, on social media, just in your you know, evening perusal as well. Um, other ways to learn more, we talked about chatting with people on campus, connecting with the admissions officer when they you know, visit your school this fall. Um, you can interview with them. Um, actually, I, was inter I interviewed a student right here at your school in the fall because he was the only one that showed up to my visit. So I said, hey, you're a senior, let's interview. And I didn't put that kind of pressure on him, but we had a lovely conversation. You can also interview online, you can interview um, on campus as well. And a lot of times those are you know, not super evaluative, stressful, et cetera, but um, those interviews are just a way for us as admissions counselors to get to know the student a little bit more than the application, a little bit you know, more background and more context, why they're interested in the school, did mom or dad sign them up for the interview, can we tell? Um, no, um, but those interviews um, are available as well and then college fairs um, is another way. All right, let me get to some of the good stuff here. Um, what's in, important about your college application? And of course, yes, this is coming from the lens of a, a liberal arts institution. Gettysburg is about 2,600 students. Um, we're a majority out of state. We actually um, have a couple hundred international students on campus now. So our students come from about 40 different states in the US and 40 different countries as well. Um, but these are the things that are kind of most important to us in an application. We are a test optional school. So for us, it's the grades, uh, the GPA grades, um, same thing, and also the rigor um, of your courses, right? So um, APs, IBs, dual enrollment classes, honors classes, whatever is offered to you, we want to see some rigor, some challenge, um, and that you're succeeding in those. So um, we look for mostly A's and B's um, throughout high school and that you're taking some of those challenging courses. Um, we don't look at a GPA unweighted, weighted. We don't recalculate. That number doesn't matter so much to us, but if you are applying to a larger school, they don't have time to look at 40,000 applications and go into ninth, ninth grade, 10th grade, you know, all these courses and subjects and everything. So they do take that GPA and maybe the test scores a little more seriously. Um, with us, we like to look at all the grades, the grade trends, etc. Um, so those two are the top uh, most important things. Um, if you do have test scores, great. Um, here's my recommendation with test scores. Um, try both. 
take the ACT, take the SAT, um, even if, you get, if it gives you anxiety, right? Not everybody's gonna have test prep and stuff, and that's fine, right? Um, so take both, they are different. The ACT is a little more science-based, um, not so much with the SAT, so um, you may surprise yourself with one over the other. Um, when it comes to submitting test scores or not, my advice is to look at the college or university website, obviously see if they need test scores, require test scores or not, um, but what is the averages, right? And, and if your test score is about average or higher than average, then you can feel good about submitting those. Um, if not, maybe you apply test optional and maybe your grades and the courses that you've taken is a better representation of sort of you as a student, right? Um, and that is the case with a lot of, a lot of folks. The other components here, the personal statement or college essay. Oh my goodness, there is so much sweat that goes into this. Um, I do essay workshops a lot, um, like every year, multiple essay workshops with students. Um, this is only one piece of the application, okay? Um, and it is definitely not the most important thing. Uh, but we can tell if you wrote it really quick. We can tell if no one has proofread it. Um, we can learn some pretty serious things about you. Um, so the point of the essay is for us to learn about you. That's it. Um, so I feel like I remember more of the bad essays than the good essays, right? Um, and so that's, that's kind of what you want to think about, okay? Um, if, if nothing bad has happened to you in your life, that's okay. Um, but you don't want to just write about grandma and how amazing she is because she's not coming to Gettysburg, you know? Um, so, so just keep it mostly about you. Okay, that's my recommendation there. Um, extracurricular activities and leadership. I say leadership because when you're listing all of your co-curricular activities, don't forget to highlight your leadership roles. Um, if you are the Eagle Scout or have a gold award, right? So many students can, can be really humble about that or leave those information pieces out, right? If you're a captain of a sports team. Also in the co-curricular and activities list, put volunteer work if you do volunteer work. Put the part-time job if you have a part-time job family responsibilities. If you're watching three kids at home for your, you know, mom, dad, guardian, put that, because that's probably why you can't be in 10 other clubs, right? So we just want to know what you're doing outside of, of school, right? At Gettysburg, we're looking for students that are going to get out of their dorms and go to things on campus, take advantage of the residential experience, um, not just go to class and back to their room. So that piece is actually important to us. It will probably not be looked at by some of the larger institutions. Um, letters of recommendation, they hit home on a lot of this um, already. Um, at Gettysburg, we re require one from your counselor and also one from a teacher. Um, this is another opportunity for you as a student um, to just give us some more insight about you. So really think about that teacher um, that you're going to ask, or two teachers I would recommend, you know, having in your back pocket, two teachers um, who know you as a student in the classroom, but also maybe um, have some personal insight about you, can speak on your character and things like that as well, because your counselor may not, you know, know you as well like that. Um, and then just some of the other things here um, that 
me and us college admissions officers have to think about when we're reviewing your application, right? Demonstrated interest, if that's a new word to you, uh, that means how interested are you in the college and can we tell, right? So that school in California, right? If you apply there and you haven't done anything to interact with them, they're like, what? They're are they really going to come here from Virginia? Like, but if you went to a virtual program of theirs or if you visited their campus, then they might track that and then say, oh, okay, yeah, I'm more apt to admit them now because I think they're actually going to come. Um, and so we do that at Gettysburg. So we know on an application we can see, oh, they interviewed, they visited, or they were at their high school visit with Maddie. Um, so demonstrated interest, um, supplemental essays they talked about. Um, also, don't worry so much about those, right? There are some schools that have like five or six supplemental essays, and that's just because they receive so many applications that they are trying to figure out who is actually interested enough in the college. So we're going to close the gate slowly um, so that we know who's really interested, okay? Um, so those could be, could be a little bit um, overanalyzed. Um, and then the last point is really just the institutional priorities, right? Um, it could be a need-sensitive school that is need-aware through the process, meaning they know if you need financial aid or not. Um, they could be trying to fill seats in a certain engineering program. Okay, so some of these things are a little bit out of your hands, right? Um, so I just wanted to touch on that too um, when we're reviewing an application or thinking about those. Um, and I'll stop there. Happy to answer questions um, after the rest of the speakers um, are able to come up here. All right. Hi, everyone. I recognize it's 8 o'clock, so I'm going to roll through these next slides so that we have time to answer questions that you all have. Um, I wanted to highlight, so Ms. Mural has worked so hard to put together like a calendar of upcoming events, all college career related. Um, that calendar can be found on the Meridian website um, under the College and Career Center section, along with lots of helpful links and information. If you have not already seen it I, and gone through there, I really do encourage you to check it out when you have time. Um, next, so resources in Schoology. So aside from that calendar and what's on the website, there are some really incredible resources for students on Schoology as well. Um, your students have access to the class of 2024 um, page and on there they'll find information related to Naviance, um, Common App, Gap Years, financial aid, essays, and just lots of really great tools and um, resources there. So check that out. Um, and just know too, we've thrown a lot of information at you tonight. We're also here for you. Reach out to us with questions you have. We're happy to help. Um, we can make, there's links on the um, website as well for Ms. Mural, for the counselors. Um, feel free to use those. Um, so next slide. So there's an upcoming virtual program. So uh, there will be lots of opportunities and um, events coming up here, but on Tuesday, March 14th at 7 p.m., um, the Higher Education Financial Aid uh, Resources Group will be hosting um, a virtual presentation. So we'll have to come in person for that one, um, and that, they will talk about ways to lower your families, um, your expected family contribution and just grants and scholarships. So well, on to questions. Again, there's a lot of information. Um, so you'll hear more and more about this. Don't feel like you guys have to have it all figured out right now. Um, we know a lot of students also have a lot on their plates right now. So um, 
I don't want this to become too overwhelming for anyone tonight. We're here to help support you guys through this process. Um, and I'm gonna invite our expert panel up um, so that we can answer some questions that you all have. Um, oh, perfect. <laughs> um, and for those of you that aren't able to stick around, I just wanna thank you so much for coming here with us tonight. Um, we really appreciate it and we look forward to uh, supporting your family through this exciting process. So, how do I do this? Oh, okay. All right. Questions. Have questions? Yeah. Yeah. You got to repeat the question first. Yeah. The question is, how important is it to apply early decision? I wish I could tell you that I have a universal answer for every college or university, but I don't. And I don't because admission acceptance rates vary from one school to the next. Some schools may admit a much larger percentage of the applicant pool early decision because those are the students who, if they're accepted, they're going. They are already yielded. They are sign them up for housing. Um, other schools, they're closer to their admitting the same percentage of students early decision regular decision, early action, across the board, they're consistent in their acceptance rates. So I'm sorry on behalf of colleges and universities that there's not a consistent number. But what you can do when you are exploring colleges with your student would be to ask the admission office, what are the differences between the acceptance rates for early decision, regular decision, rolling admission, whatever it may be, and see if you find differences in those percentages to compare school to school. Yes. Yeah, so the past two, oh, sorry. Can you repeat the question? Yeah, I'll try. Oh, yes, for the folks streaming, it was about testing. So what percentage of, uh, of students get in without test scores, I guess? Oh, or applying test optional. Yeah, so the past two years, including this one I'm in right now, um, we've seen that the majority of students are applying test optional. So. Therefore, the majority of students are getting in test optional at Gettysburg. Um, to the ED question, at Gettysburg, about 40% of our freshman class comes through early decision. So to me, that sounds like a lot, right? 40% of, of the entire freshman class. Um, but that is, I would echo that to, to ask the, each college or university what, they, um, what their percentage is. Did you have a follow-up? The question is um, focused on Virginia schools and test optional admission. Um, for Virginia in particular, the majority of the schools in Virginia are test optional. Um, in terms of 
percentages of students, that would be an individual question, a percentage of students that applied test optional versus submitted test scores, and that's going to vary from a Mary Washington to a George Mason to a Hollins and, and across the board for the Virginia schools. Um, it's a fair game question to ask admission offices and to see if they segment that out on their admission profile on their websites as you and your students are exploring schools. I will add, um, there are some situations where testing is required. Um, Florida, for example, if your student wants to go to a Florida public school or Georgia public school, they have to have testing. It's required there. If they're looking at MIT, MIT brought back testing. Um, so tune into what the requirements are for individual schools. The other piece about standardized testing that I'll add is that the admission office may be test optional to admit your student but there may be some scholarship opportunities where a standardized test score is required to be considered. And sometimes it's a combination of standardized test score and GPA um, on a grid to determine what scholarship level your student may qualify for, um, but just be aware. Um, so I, I can't tell you specifically Virginia College to College, um, but, it, but certainly inquire as you're doing your research with your student. In the, in the back? Absolutely. The question is in regards to um, tuition reciprocity for majors that are not offered at Virginia public institutions. The website to Google is Academic Common Market. And indeed, there are some majors that are not available at Virginia, but if it's the southern public institutions that if a major is not offered here and a student applies only for that major at another school, they may and are admitted, they may qualify for in-state tuition. Um, some of them are a little obscure majors for what's offered, and I'll give the example of um, the University of Tennessee admission officer was with us in the fall, and if your child is interested in sacred music, that is a degree that is not offered within a Virginia public school, but it can be pursued at the public school tuition rate at the University of Tennessee. There, there are others as well. So, um, nuclear engineering, I believe, was another. Um, so academic comic market is what you want to look for. Of course. Other questions? Yeah. want to feel that or I can I mean the example I would give is the bad one okay okay the the question is about students majors in the college application process there are a group of schools where students are admitted by major so the major that they select on that application is what they're reviewed for other schools where they're applying, say, to the engineering school, they don't have to designate industrial engineering versus chemical versus mechanical, but they're being admitted to engineering in general with that flexibility after pursuing a first-year program. Um, and then there are schools where put what you're interested in, 
you could be admitted to the institution and you can be a theater major today and have your advisor sign off on the change of major to become an anthropology major or you don't even have to declare a major until the spring semester of your sophomore year. So again, I have to keep telling you, it varies from school to school and I feel guilty saying that, but that's the case. There is tremendous variability based upon the institution. Um, the bad example, yeah. from what Ms. Kieran says, it always comes up in our conversations with students, so I wanna be transparent. Virginia Tech is the school, we have a lot of students who apply. Virginia Tech admits students by major. Some schools, it's easy to change from one major to the next. Other schools, it's not so easy. Um, so that major, when I tell students what to put on their application, I tell them to put what their heart is telling them at the time. So it's an authentic representation because whether it's tech or an, another school where they may put down that they wanna be an engineer, but they really wanna be in something else, they might have to reapply to transfer from one school to another within that university. And so they're creating more hoops for themselves. So I, I don't like to look at it as kind of gaming the admissions system to put an obscure major, because I think that can backfire on students in the end. They should apply to a liberal arts college. <laughs> where a major does not matter. <laughs> no, they do have to declare a major by the end of their sophomore year, but there's no cap on a major, and you can explore every major. Just to piggyback off of the Virginia Tech thing, because I think it's relevant for a lot of our kids, there is a lot of talk amongst them about how to game the Virginia Tech admissions system and knowing which majors are more forgiving and which majors allow more students in. It's not engineering or anything like that, but they, the students know and they can find out that information. I have had former students come back and sometimes they have some really tough stories about when that happens of basically kind of getting locked into a school and into an area that they didn't want um, or that they didn't really know what they were signing up for and then they're kind of stuck with no options because it is really hard to change your major in Virginia Tech because instead of competing for thousands of seats like you are as a freshman, you're competing for any seats that opened because the student left the school. Um, so I would say because that's such a common option for our students, I highly advise against them trying to game the system. If they truly don't know what they want to do, I actually also say Virginia Tech's probably not the place for you. Again, like liberal arts schools are going to have more freedom and movement for a kid who knows exactly what they wanna do and Virginia Tech does it well, or any kind of tech school does it well, great, go. Like go forth and engineer the world. Um, but if they don't know and they're exploring, that just means that that school is probably not a good fit for them long-term. Okay, we're gonna wrap it up. Thanks guys, thanks for coming. Everyone have a good night.